Is this the dagger? What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Legion of Sports podcast. I'm Harrison Klein, along with Jake Anthony. Uh, we had another big week of sports that we're going to talk to you guys about. But first, Jake, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Watched a lot of fun football games this weekend. I mean, we'll get into that later. But uh, what would your top story this week be, Harrison? Uh, so my top story of the week is Kim Ang uh, was hired by the, Mar- the Miami Marlins baseball team, and she's the first woman general manager in sports history. And, I mean, the thing is, she's really qualified. She... Her past uh, or her career, she's she was the assistant director of baseball ops with the White Sox for six years. She was an assistant GM for the Yankees for three years. She was with the she was assistant GM for the Dodgers for nine years, and then from 2011 until 2020, she was senior VP of ba- of baseball operations for MLB, working right under Joe Torre. So she's extremely qualified, and she also has three World Series rings. So she's been really success- successful. And I actually was able to interview her last year for a class project because. Her and my mom were tennis partners in high school, so they've, they still talk to this day. And, I mean, just some quotes that stuck out to me because I went back and read the interview, and she said, the four biggest things I got to where I am, being stubborn, being determined, persevering, and being persistent. And she said, always be cheerious, which is curious and enthusiastic for your work. So, I mean, she's just always had a – she's been very diligent. She's had to work really hard to where she's gotten to. And just from where she was talking about in that interview last year, to see where she is today and, and to see that she got this job that she's really been coveting. It's really cool to see. And I mean, she's just an incredibly nice and thoughtful person just from what I took from that interview. And I mean, this is just a really historic moment for sports and for women. And it's just really cool to see this. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned how qualified she, she is and there's the, her three world series rings are one thing, but the success that the Yankees had while she was there, obviously there's other factors involved, other people that were involved in those decisions, but she definitely had a huge say on who they hired for their, not only their manager, but for their teams and stuff. And especially the Dodgers from 2001 to uh, 2011. And then uh, just working directly with MLB. She knows the ins and outs of the industry, not only the industry, but just the, the league itself. So, I mean, I'd say beyond qualified and a great hire. You mentioned great for women, but I think it's great for the Marlins, too. Yeah, and also, before we get to your top story, a lot of props to Derek Jeter, too, for doing this. And he also has another really high-ranking woman in the Marlins uh, front office. So, I mean, he's just he, he's doing a great job with the Marlins. And so, I mean, just a lot of credit to him. So, Jake, what's your top story of the week? My top story of the week is the AFC playoff standings. So, after Week 10, which we're sitting at right now, there's six teams with a 6-3 and three record. The Colts, the Raiders, Dolphins, Ravens, Browns, and Titans. Two of these teams, the Browns and Titans, are out of the playoffs if the season were to end today. The Titans are tied in record with the Colts, but they just lost on Thursday night, which we'll talk about in a minute. And so they're losing the head-to-head tiebreaker. And the Dolphins are only one game behind the Bills. The rest of the team, the rest of the teams, which would be the Raiders, Browns, and Ravens, don't have a realistic shot to win their division with with the nine and nine and zero Steelers and the eight and one Chiefs uh, holding a solid lead in their respective divisions. So this AFC playoff picture is going to come down to the wire. Two of these teams that are playoff hopefuls are going to miss the playoffs uh, after 
this group of six and three teams, there's not anyone else that's realistically going to make the playoffs. But any combination of these teams missing the playoffs would be a letdown, not only for their team, but I mean, I, I think that they're all qualified playoff teams. Yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting to watch this as the season unfolds. And I mean, I think when you look at these teams, I think the Titans stand out with not playing well recently. They lost to the Bengals, lost to the Colts, which we're going to talk about. And they have a tough schedule coming up, so they could fall out of this thing quickly. And then, I mean, the Browns have an easy schedule coming up, but I just don't trust them as much as I trust these other teams. I think the Raiders are in that category too, but I think the Colts, Dolphins, and Ravens should all make the playoffs. And, I mean, we'll talk about some of those teams today as we get into their games from this week. But, I mean, overall, this is going to be a really exciting playoff picture. And it's just another good reason why adding that seventh team is going to be a lot of fun because you're going to get another one of these really good teams into the playoffs that wouldn't have made it in the past. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see how, how it goes the last six, seven weeks of the season, but really exciting for football. Yeah, so now let's move in. Before we get into the games, we're going to talk about a major injury that happened this weekend. Drew Brees has multiple broken ribs and a collapsed lung. Uh, they haven't set an official time time frame for his return, but they're saying uh, their optimistic timetable will be two to three weeks. He he was playing great before he got injured. The Saints are playing great. Um, I, I think that even though they don't have a, a realistic time frame as of yet, or when he'll return, I think that the transition to James Winston should be smooth. Um, and I, I don't know. I think the Saints will be quite a fine, especially because their coming games, they play the Falcons twice and the Broncos. They definitely need to win these games, but they should be able to win them without Breeze. Yeah, it's going to be really fun just to watch James again because, I mean, he's definitely not the best quarterback, but you know something fun, fun is going to happen when he is the quarterback, whether it's interceptions, stuff like that. But, I mean, yeah, you mentioned that they've been playing really well lately. They're winners of six in a row. And the defense that struggled a lot early in the season has been playing a lot much, or a lot better lately, obviously, holding the Buccaneers to just three points two weeks ago. So if that defense can keep playing well, I think that they can get through this stretch. But you mentioned it. Falcons, Broncos, Falcons, Eagles are their next four opponents. Those are four very winnable games, even yes. without Drew Brees. But then that fifth week, they play the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if they can win that one without Brees. So if he can somehow come back in five weeks, I guess that would be, that'd be huge for this team playing the Chiefs. But I mean, there's definitely a chance they win their next four games with the level of opponents they play. Yeah, and if you can remember last season, Drew Brees missed five and a half games. And in those games, the Saints were five and one with Teddy Bridgewater at their quarterback. I would say that Teddy Bridgewater is a slightly better quarterback for that scenario than James Winston, only because of the errors and interceptions James seems to throw. But I think that they should be just fine with this transition. And if not, if James Winston does struggle, I wouldn't be surprised if Sean Payton does opt to transition to Taysom Hill, who is a decent quarterback, but I don't think that that'll be necessary. Yeah, and I, we're definitely going to see some Taysom Hill anyway, just because that's what Sean Payton likes to do, especially down in the red zone. But I mean, I, th- I think the opposite spectrum of this is what if Jameis Winston does play well? I-, I think a lot of people are assuming this is Drew Brees' last year. Is Jameis Winston the future quarterback of the Saints? I mean, this could be a really good audition yeah. for him. So, I mean, we'll see. There's a lot of directions this could go. But, I mean, the biggest storyline is Drew Brees is out for an unknown time right now. And the Saints need to win these games, especially because of the Bucks are right on their tails. I think only a game back right now. So, it's going to be really critical for the Saints to win these games. Yeah, you mentioned the audition. It's not even... It's not only an audition for the Saints, but it could be a possible audition for a job somewhere else. So this is going to be a a huge few weeks coming up for Jameis Winston. Yeah, so now we're going to move on to some games this week. And, I mean, I think the obvious one that we got to talk about is the Bills-Cardinals game and the Hail Murray that people are calling it where Kyler Murray threw up a Hail Mary to Hopkins and he caught it triple teamed in the end zone with one second left. Uh, I I mean, Jake, what what are your thoughts? I I guess we'll, we'll just talk about the play. I mean... No, that was I mean, ridiculous. Like, I believe they had 34 seconds left on this drive, 
and um, they had a four-play, 75-yard drive. Most of it came on that one play, but I believe they were around the 50-yard line. Kyler Murray, I I don't know who I heard it from, but I heard it online that he was he had a read to go to uh, Isabella down the field and get out of bounds, similar to Aaron Rodgers when he set up his team for that Hail Mary, and you just get halfway down the field on one play and then take a shot to the end zone. But Cliff Kingsbury told Kyler Murray that if you have if you think that Hopkins has a chance, just throw it up there. Like it's not going to hurt. You know, the worst thing that could happen is an interception. But we're not likely to win this anyway. He scrambles out of the pocket, somehow gets the throw off, throws it up there, and Hopkins catches it over three guys. I mean, this is why he was brought to Arizona, and it was just a ridiculous play. Yeah, and there's just so much that have to go right. First, you need an athletic and and quick enough quarterback like Kyler Murray that can evade that pass rush and then make a ridiculous over 50-yard throw, basically falling out of bounds across his body pretty much. And then you need a guy in DeAndre Hopkins that can catch it in triple coverage. I mean, you just need so much to go right, and they got all of that right. And you mentioned it. It's very similar to that Packers Hail Mary back in, I think, 2015 when they got that Hail Mary in that same end zone as time expired to send it to overtime in the playoffs. It's very similar and, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. This is also just a huge win for the Cardinals, and, and especially for Kyler Murray, he really struggled in the first half, but he was great in the second half. And I really think he's definitely in the top four of this MVP race at the worst right now. Yeah. I mean, he has fully put himself into it with the legs, with his passing ability. I mean, this guy is – I mean, when a lot of people said who can be this year's Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray was the name that stuck out. And I think he didn't really take that leap that Lamar had, but I think he's playing at such a high level. The only thing is there's other quarterbacks that are playing at that level, so it's not as obvious as when Lamar did it, but, I mean, he's right up there in the MVP category conversation right now. I completely agree, and the only reason why he wouldn't win the MVP is because other people are playing better, and that, that sounds like cliche, but he's having a great season, especially, I believe this is his second season. I mean, he just incredible. He had two rushing touchdowns last game and one passing touchdown, and I, I believe that um, I agree where he's earned himself consideration for MVP. But I want to go back to this catch real quick. I think this is the only time that it's fair to make Calvin Johnson comparisons. This, that, I mean, it did come against your team. It, it did happen. This is what I said immediately. But, I'm like, yeah, yeah it happened against the Bengals. Three guys. That's the only time that I've really seen a Hail Mary like that. Because normally, you know, the ball's either tipped or, I mean, most of the time it doesn't work. But if it is caught, then you get lucky and you have a one-on-one or a two-on-one. But three-on-one, I think these are the only two times that it's been three on one and it was incredible and what's so crazy about the calvin johnson one is that that wasn't even a hail mary that was just matthew stafford making yeah. a play on a third down and chucking it <laughs> up and i mean you just have faith in these guys but i also i just want to talk about from the bills point of view yeah. i mean there's not much to critique here overall for the game like they're one miracle away from from moving to i think it would have been eight, eight and two, two. yes yeah. so they're seven and three now so they would have been eight and two josh allen led a great uh uh go-ahead drive with, I think, 34 seconds left, you said. Yeah. And he made that great throw to Stephon Diggs, led a great drive in the final few minutes. And, you know, there's it's a much different storyline where we're saying, okay, Josh Allen has really stepped up lately. And, I, I mean, he was great this game. He did throw two bad interceptions in the fourth quarter that let the Cardinals stay in it. But, I mean, I think overall Josh Allen played great. And it's hard to really get on the bills for anything in this game. I still think that they're the best team in the AFC East, in my opinion. And this loss doesn't really change in my eyes just because of the the fashion that it happened. It was like, it, it's a Hail Mary. Yeah. How often do those get completed? Yeah, I, I agree where the Bills are going to be completely fine as long as they don't stumble throughout the rest of this race because the Dolphins are only one game back. But you mentioned that go-ahead drive. It was 12 plays, 78 yards, and should have been the game-winning touchdown. It wasn't. But after that touchdown, at the very beginning of the Cardinals' drive with 34 seconds remaining, the Bills had a 93.6% chance to win which is just... Surprised that it was that low. 
Yeah, I, it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, it, like you said, it shouldn't have happened. They should have won the game. Uh, they've games. The Bills have games coming up against the Chargers and the 49ers, but um, I, I think they should be just fine. The two interceptions from Josh Allen did prove to be costly, but I, I, I don't. I'm not too worried about the Bills or their offense. Yeah, I mean, the only worry I have with the Bills is their lack of running game. They only had 35 yeah. rushing yards outside of Josh Allen, but. I mean, I think that we've seen it, it work. I mean, they still put up, what, 30 points this game. Like, it, it's not really impacting their offense because Josh Allen has picked it up the last few weeks and, and is playing as well as he was early in the season. Yeah, so let's move on to our next game that we want to talk about. That would be the Rams and the Seahawks. This one is a little bit more surprising than we would have thought. Uh, what did you see from this game? I mean, I guess first we can start with Russell Wilson. Where yeah. <laughs> I, I, So I, I, I looked up these stats. So his first five games of the season – 73% completion percentage, 19 touchdowns, 3 interceptions, 129 passer rating, 5-0 and was his record. The last four games, 67% completion, only 9 touchdowns, 10 turnovers, and 7 of those are interceptions, and only a 90 passer rating, and his team is 1-3, and three, and he just doesn't look the same. Like, he's made some really questionable decisions, and I don't know if you saw this one play where he just forced it up into the back of the end zone from about 40 yards away, and he was right up at the line of scrimmage, and he had about 20, 30 yards of green grass in front of him. He could have just ran it, <laughs> yeah. but he chucked it up. He's making some really weird decisions that aren't Russell Wilson-like, and, I mean, he's definitely not the front-runner for MVP anymore, which, I mean, I feel like you showed me you showed me a tweet where someone's like, if it was... If it was half the season, yeah. if it was an eight-game season, Russell Wilson yeah. would be the MVP about every other. Exactly, game. and he and again, we're seeing him fall off a little bit. This, I mean, it's not like it's too worrying for me yet, but now they're six and three. They just dropped to third place in their division with this loss, and I mean, we'll talk about it in a second how good this Rams defense really is. But I mean, he plays the Cardinals this week. He's he needs to figure it out because they they can't lose another game and. He can't afford to be playing this bad, especially with how bad this defense is. Yeah, you mentioned his first five games, and uh, up until then, like you said, he had three interceptions. And then the next game, which is the Cardinals, it was in, at Arizona. The next or next week, he plays Arizona at home, but he had three interceptions alone in that game. So I think that that was maybe a turning point in terms of confidence or something. I I don't know. Um, obviously haven't talked to him or anything like that, but it, it something's going on uh, with Russell Wilson. I don't can't pinpointed at all he had another off game 57 percent completion percentage which is just not I mean okay it's not a terrible completion percentage but it's not what we expect from Russell Wilson and then I don't know this game on Thursday night is, is huge the both for the Seahawks and the Cardinals because the winner takes sole first place of the division right now I mean believe it or not the Seahawks are in third place of the NFC West which is actually crazy to think about but I think that they're in good shape to win their division, especially if they win this next game against the Cardinals. But it's just going to be interesting to see if they can get their offense turned around. Yeah, and talking about the other side of this, you need to give a lot of credit to this Rams defense. And this is a team that I really have not thought was that good all year. Their their best win was against the Bears, who are now 5-5 five and five before this game. But, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit. Their defense was outstanding. Held Russell Wilson to 248 yards, forced three turnovers, sacked him six times. And Jalen Ramsey, again, was phenomenal, shutting down DK Metcalf, who's been one of the breakout receivers and truly probably one of the five best receivers in the NFL this year. Just two catches, 28 yards. So you need to give a lot of credit to this Rams defense as they've been playing outstanding for much of the season. And this game, they really showed it again, holding the Seahawks offense to 16 points. Yeah, it was incredible. And, I mean, we've kind of bashed on their defense in the past and their lack of uh, strength of schedule and stuff like that. But the Rams really performed this game. And um, I I 
don't feel like they have a, a good chance to win their division. Obviously, they're all tied in first place right now, but I, it's more realistic than I thought previously, especially with this win over Seattle. And in the coming weeks, I mean, they have Tampa Bay next week, which is going to be a very tough game on Monday Night Football. San Francisco, obviously a divisional game, and then Arizona. So they have a, a pretty difficult ske- schedule for the next few weeks. Um, and same thing with Arizona. They have to play Seattle and the Rams in the next three weeks. So it's going to be very interesting. These next three weeks are going to be very telling for this division. But, yeah, I'm impressed with not only the the Rams, offense, or Rams defense, but also their offense because, I mean, this three-headed rushing attack has been very good for them. Uh, very consistent. They're eighth in the league in rushing per game, and that's how they were so successful when they made their uh, trip to the Super Bowl a few years ago. So they can get that back on track and back and keep using Jared Goff as a play action attack, then it'll be very successful for them. Yeah, and this is, I mean, we said it, we've been ripping on this Rams team all year, and I think that this is finally a win that we needed to see them have. So yeah. if they can find a way to beat the Bucks on Monday night, then I'll officially think that they are a good team and have a shot at least to advance somewhat in the playoffs. Yeah, so let's move on to the Ravens versus Patriots. I mean, the previous game that we talked about was a shocker, but this one, I don't think anybody could have seen this coming, especially the deficit they lost by. Um, the The Ravens had a 10-point deficit at the very beginning of the second half, and it's as we've said before, it's just not a great formula for this team. They're very run-heavy and run-oriented, and Lamar Jackson doesn't do very well when he has to sit back in the pocket and throw. They scored with six minutes left in the third quarter and didn't score again, uh, and the final score is 17-23. to but it, it was very much a struggle for this Ravens offense. Yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson, only 245 yards. He had two touchdowns, but also one interception. And the interception was a really bad one as he threw it. It was late in regulation. and Or sorry, late in the first half. They were in field goal range. He kind of just forced one up into, into pretty good coverage, and it was intercepted. But, I mean, he really – they need to figure it out with his offense. I don't know if they can do it this year. I, I really yeah. – and the injuries start, are starting to pile up on both sides of the ball. Nick Boyle, their best blocking tight end, he's out for the year. Ronnie Stanley, their star left tackle, he's out for the year. And, and then among with a bunch of um, injuries on the defensive side. But they really need to figure it out because now they're 6-3. and three And, I mean, you mentioned we talked about it earlier, how many 6-3 and three teams there are in this AFC playoff race. And they're the seventh seed now. The Ravens are the seventh seed. They need to figure it out. They play the Titans this week. It's a huge game for them, and both sides of the ball need to figure it out. Yeah, you mentioned 6-3, and three, but I'm more worried about 0-3. Oh Lamar Jackson is 0-2 in the playoffs in his career, and it's looking more and more like he could be 0-3 after a short-lived playoff ex- playoff uh, berth last year. And it's it's not looking great for this Ravens team. Obviously, any team can turn it around. They have the pieces to do it, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, I think they have the tools. They just need to get Lamar Jackson back on track. And I just think that this offense has been figured out. I saw a tweet last week or a quote from Lamar Jackson that said, the defense is calling out what we're doing. They know what we're running or something along those lines. So if Lamar Jackson is openly stating that, he's nec- he's worried about it. Harbaugh needs to put in some wrinkles or stuff like that because, uh, I mean, the defense knows where you're running, and it's normally a running play or play action. I mean, it's just not going to be very successful. Uh, the only guy that I can think about could, could manage like that is is Patrick Mahomes. He's the only guy that's good enough to, oh, here, that's what I'm running. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out anyway. But Lamar Jackson is not that strong of a passer, so he, he's really – they got to have to throw in some wrinkles offensively. 
And now this defense is also a bit of a concern because I mentioned they have a lot of injuries on offense, but on defense, Clayus Campbell and Brandon Williams, their two star defensive tackles, are both out for at least the foreseeable future. And they let the Patriots run all over them, 173 rushing yards. And they play Derrick Henry next week. I mean, it's not going to yeah. get much easier for them. And we mentioned how big of a, a game it is next week for the Titans. It's just as big of a game next week for the Ravens because the Ravens could easily just get run down their throats once again. And if they do that, I mean, we if they're sitting there at 6-4, and four, it's going to be tough for them to get back into this race and, and just have me feel confident about it. Yeah, as a Colts fan, I definitely need the Ravens to win next week against the Titans. But it's it's not looking great for the Ravens. You mentioned how they can get run down their throat again. That's what happened in the playoffs last year. And I just, I don't know. I, I definitely see that happening. And if not, then Ryan Tannehill is going to have a field day. Because if they load the box and attempt to stop the run or they successfully stop the run, then Ryan Tannehill is going to use that to his advantage. And he's a very good quarterback when he has one-on-one -on -one man coverage throughout the rest of the defense. So it's going to be a tough tough day for the Ravens I think they have the possibility to figure out but it, it's not likely that they that they win on Sunday yeah so now we're gonna move on to another AFC game and it's gonna be the last game we talk about it's Jake's Colts yes with a big win last Thursday night 34-17 Jake I'll go to you first what are your what are your thoughts on this one for the Colts this game was so fun to watch at the beginning it was obviously back and forth the Colts trailed 10 to 17 and then scored 24 unanswered points Naheem Hines I believe he had two touchdowns he he looked great. Philip Rivers, uh, I still not a fan. Um, only because you know we could have had some some better options out there. But that's beside the point. He had one of his best games of the year. He passed for three hundred yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. The no interceptions part is huge because the Colts defense is is playing really well. But I mean, if you give the other team great field for field position then it's very tough to play good offense or defensively and then talking about their defense they have the number one defense in yards allowed per game so I mean Ryan Tannehill really struggled this game that's part of it uh and I mean Derrick Henry was fine but once they went down they had to abandon the run so a pretty solid game from the Colts it I mean they obviously still need to improve and get some W's in their in their pocket before the playoffs come because they are right now tied in record and they do have the Packers next week and the Titans the following week so it's going to it doesn't get easier. Yeah, and it's weird because I think a lot of this a lot I mean the Colts play great. A lot of the reason they won is because of the Titans issues with special teams. Goskowski had oh, a missed was... kick. There was a pump block return for a touchdown, and they also had, I think it was like a 26-yard punt from their own end. Just on that shanked led. off his foot. Yeah, so I mean, they basically got 14 points straight off of punts from the Colts, or sorry, from the Titans, so just big issues there. But I think another big aspect that we saw in this game, Michael Pittman Jr., the, the yeah. Colts' second-round pick, finally had his big breakout game. Seven catches, 101 yards. He also had some rushing yards to go with that. And, I mean, expect him to really be the top wide receiver on this offense for the second half of the season. And I think that's something this offense really needs, especially with T.Y. Hilton, I mean, pretty much non-existent on this offense anymore. They don't have a true number one. If Michael Pittman can really turn into that towards the end of the season, this offense is really going to step it up a notch. And especially with how good this defense is, that can be that's huge for them. Yeah, if, if the Colts could add a number one receiver, or he could transform into a number one receiver in Pittman, that would be terrific. You mentioned how T.Y. Hilton has struggled. He is not a number one wide receiver in the NFL, and that's what the Colts have tried to use him as the past few years. So if he can be the number two receiver, I think that he'll be much better. As in the defense is focusing on Michael Pittman instead of focusing on Hilton, then that would be great for T.Y. Hilton. I think he'll have better numbers and his 
catch rate will improve and everything along that line. But uh, I think this is great for Phillip Rivers to get another option out there. I mean, he's had him all year. He missed a few games at the beginning of the season, but he really performed well, especially against uh, this Titans defense that is really bad against the run. But, it, I mean, it's been mediocre against the pass, so it's not like they're playing uh, a pushover defense or anything. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's all we have for this game. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to move over to some NBA, and, I mean, it seems like the, the offseason just kind of started, and, I mean, it's already off to a ridiculous start. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. I guess we'll start with the Houston Rockets. I mean, I just have some points on – let's just talk about how we got here with the Rockets in the last week and a half. So first an article came out last week detailing issues with the Rockets players and each other, and there were just some stuff with players upset with other players, some players upset with the front office, the coaching, stuff like that. Then a report came out that Westbrook wanted to be traded. Then there was a, a report that came out that Harden turned down $50 million a year, would have been the first player ever in the NBA to do that. And he also wants to be traded, and the only place he wants to be traded is Brooklyn, <laughs> and he believes that his championship window with the Rockets is closed. And then they also made a trade for Trevor Reason, two first-round picks, and gave away Robert Covington. So, Jake, I'll let you start with, with any thoughts you have on any of this. Well, the thing that really stands out to me is James Harden turning down $50 million per year. That tells me that he does not want to be there. He is pretty much fed up. That doesn't mean that he won't be there, but he doesn't want to be there, and that is a huge contributing factor. If if you're playing on a team that you don't want to, I mean, you're just not gonna you're not gonna work as hard. You're not gonna prep as hard. You're not gonna play as hard. It's just, I mean, this is how it is. So if he doesn't want to be there, the Rockets aren't gonna be successful. They're not gonna be good at all, especially with Russell Westbrook also wanting out. Uh, my thoughts on him, I don't really think that he has trade value, or if, he, if it is, and it's very low. Uh, obviously, I mean, they've been trying to trade him. There were some rumors last year, but now there's real rumors that he wants to be traded, and they were trying to trade him for, uh, I guess, a few days now, and nothing has, I mean, Woj reported that there was no real interest at all around the league. So, But I, I don't think, I would love to see it happen, but I don't think James Harden to Brooklyn is a realistic option. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I would love to see it happen, but I just I don't see it happening. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll go back to Westbrook. So, I looked up his contract. So, for the next three years, he's getting $41 million, $43 million, and $47 million. So, you mentioned that trade value is so hard, especially for a player that doesn't... I mean, he's obviously an amazing player, top 10 in the NBA. Yeah. But his play style doesn't totally fit this new era of NBA where it's a lot of shooting threes. And you saw it with the Rockets this year. He didn't mesh completely well because he doesn't. he can't shoot the ball as well. And so, I mean, that's going to be interesting, but yeah, I mean, I, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do, because I think there's definitely a chance that neither of them are traded before the season starts yeah. with the trade value being so tough. And we can talk about the Nets in a second, but I mean, th they've said that they aren't afraid to have both these players there. They aren't afraid of it being uncomfortable there, even with Westbrook and Harden wanting out. And it's really interesting because Harden wanted Westbrook there so bad. And he basically said, give away everything for Westbrook. We can win with him. And then after a year, he's saying, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. You're stuck with Westbrook. I want out. So it's just a crazy situation. I mean, there's another discussion for how, how much power NBA players have today. And, I mean, we'll see if these guys get their way and get out. But it's just going to be a crazy story to follow. And it's crazy how much has happened in the last week and a half with this team. As painful as it would be if I was a Rockets fan, I do love the drama involved. Yeah, you, so mentioned, do I. <laughs> you mentioned the the power that they have, and they have a lot of power. I mean, if a football player came out and said, let's say, I don't, let's say Derrick Henry comes out and says he wants to be traded, he's not gonna be traded. That's just not how it works in other leagues. But it very well could work like that for the Houston Rockets. 
Uh, I mean, I'm just going back to Russell Westbrook. His trade value is, I mean, it's just it's not going to work, especially the contract. You mentioned the play style. He, the only thing that he could do is, or potentially go to is a struggling team that wants him to be the dominant guy, but they're not going to contend. And if like, if they do, they're not going to get great compensation because they're not going to give up any draft picks or, or at least high draft picks for that matter. But I mean, the draft is coming up and hopefully, or maybe for the sake of Russell Westbrook and James Harden, they could get their wish potentially on draft night trade. I don't think that's likely at all, but that, uh, that is an option. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, there have been some reports that say John Wall for Russell Westbrook has been talked about with these two guys with massive contracts, but I mean, what's the point of that if you're the the Rockets? Because I feel like they're not the same player in play style, but they're the same player and they're getting older. They don't totally fit the NBA and John Wall hasn't played in two years. I mean, we don't know what we're going to get from this guy. I, I mean, I'm assuming he's returning this year. He hasn't played him forever, but who knows what you're going to get out of John Wall. So I, I really don't know. So, I mean, we'll talk about the Nets. So if they get James Harden, I mean, I think it would work. But the thing is, there's three per- personalities and they all want the ball. They all they, they all want the ball. I think KD and Harden can live without getting the ball. I don't think Kyrie Irving can. Yeah, KD's done it before. His ego is, I'm not going to say it's small because that's just not the right word, but it's not a massive ego by any means. He's played with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, where he wasn't touching the ball that often. When he was, he was scoring about half the time. But, I mean, I don't know. I I would like to say that it's going to work. I'm worried about Kyrie Irving and his ego, especially what happened in Boston and all that stuff where they did have a championship team. Or at least, I mean, they went to the conference finals the year before they got him or when he was hurt, and then he came back and they struggled. So I'm worried about him fitting in chemistry-wise. But I just want to – we'll talk about it in a second, the Drew Holiday trade. But the Bucks had to give up a ton to get Drew Holiday and nothing – against Drew Holiday, but he is not the same he's not on the same level as James Harden. So a reunion between Harden and K D would be great and amazing to watch, but I don't think maybe a potential package of Car- Karis Levert, Josh or Jared Allen and a draft picks before this trade with Drew Holiday, I would think that, that was realistic. But right now, I mean, I think that the trade market is inflamed, <laughs> at least for the near future, and I don't think that's a realistic possibility. Well I think the reason I do think it is a possibility is because I think what happened with the Drew Holiday trade, which we'll talk about in a second, is very similar to, to the Anthony Davis trade where you gave up, I think it was, you gave up Brandon Ingram, you gave up Josh Hart, and you gave up Lonzo Ball, so three young, you know, pretty good players. Ingram's probably going to be a star. And then you gave up some draft compensation. So I think if you give up Levert and Allen plus a good amount of draft picks, I think it will get it done. I just think the Drew Holiday trade is really weird to me, and we'll talk about that in a second, but... I think if you give up Levert and Allen plus a lot of draft compensation, they will be able to get it done. But you need to make sure that everyone wants to do this. You you need to make sure that Kyrie is in. You need to make sure that KD is in. You need to make sure Steve Steve Nash Nash is in. You need to make sure everyone believes that this is the right move. Because, I mean, the Nets did this last last decade when they they traded for an aging Paul Pierce, (laughs) an aging Kevin Garnett. And it it killed them for the next five years because that didn't work out at all. So you need to make sure that this is absolutely the right move for your franchise. And then you go out and do it. The thing is... Thunder also, or the Rockets don't have much leverage either because yeah. Harden basically said, I only want to go to the Nets. So that'll also impact the, the trade. But I mean, it's going to be really interesting. And I mean, just another crazy storyline this offseason. Yeah. I'm, like I said earlier, I'm not worried about Kevin Durant. I'm not worried about Steve Nash. If I'm the GM of the Nets or whoever's making this decision, I'm having a one on one conversation with Kyrie Irving and saying, Do you believe that this is best for our team? If he says no, 
you don't do it. You don't consider it. You don't think about it because I know Kevin Durant might want to do it, and he might be all in. I know he loves James Harden. He's played with him before. But Kyrie Irving, he, I mean, right now their their championship odds are, are pretty high, but if you had Harden, then they'd get extremely high. They could even be the favorites. But it all has to work chemistry-wise. So if Kyrie Irving isn't on the same page as everybody else, then it's not going to work at all. That's the thing because – Kyrie, I would say, is the number three option out of those guys. If yeah, you're, which is if you crazy. want, the, which is unbelievable to say, <laughs> but I mean, you have those three guys. Can Kyrie be the number three option? Will he see himself as the number three option? I mean, they're gonna have a lot to figure out, and I think this is something that the Warriors actually did a really good job of once they got KD. Is that they didn't at first, at least, they didn't have these big issues of who's gonna be the guy because they knew how good everyone was and they knew their role. I don't trust Kyrie enough to know that. I, I do trust KD and Harden yeah. because they've been in situations with other stars before. But Kyrie, I mean, we saw with LeBron, he wanted his own team. He he wants to be the guy. But and he's not good enough to be the guy. Exactly. The yeah, and so, I mean, it's going to be really interesting if that happens. We'll talk a lot more about it. So, I mean, so next we'll move on to the Bucks, And, I mean, we talked about the Drew Holiday trade. And, I mean, the Bucks they delivered on their promise. They said to Giannis, we will upgrade your supporting cast. And they did it, but they paid a big price to do it. Yeah. They traded. So they made two trades. They traded Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, three first-round picks, and two pick swaps, so potentially five first-round picks. And one of those first-round picks is unprotected in 2027, which is crazy to think about. So for, far away. for Drew Holiday, who maybe a top 20, 25 player in the NBA. I mean, yeah. no one's special. And then they also traded Dante DiVincenzo and two others for Bogdanovich, so not giving up a ton. Uh, so, Jake, what are, your, what are your first thoughts on this? Well, first off, I mean, the Bucks were obviously under pressure to make a trade. I mean, they need to keep Giannis. They need to keep him happy. But... I mean, like you said, Holiday isn't anything special. I understand why they did it. And obviously, even if Giannis does leave, they need to win this championship next season. And if they do win a championship, he's staying for sure. But, I I mean, they improved their starting lineup, obviously, uh, especially shooting-wise with the addition of uh, Bogdanovich. But they lost a lot of their depth peaches, which made them so good. And, uh, I mean, I think that this gives them a better chance to keep Giannis, but... It was very. It's a very questionable trade. It needed to happen. I understand why it happened, but there was other candidates out there. I mean, Chris Paul is one. Um, if you were looking for a point guard, even I mean, Russell Westbrook contract doesn't fit. But I mean, certain guys that would just really impact your team. And I mean, Drew Holiday is going to make them better. He's an upgrade from Eric Bledsoe. But five first round picks potentially, and then two of your starting point guards or two possible starting point guards, seems like uh, a heck of a lot for Drew Holiday. Yeah, and it's just weird to me because I feel like you don't make this trade unless you have some idea that Giannis is coming back. I mean, I know that it hasn't been official, but and I know you want him to come back, but you can't do this unless you have some idea he's coming back. They gave and, up so much. And they gave future. up so much. And I feel like, shouldn't Giannis, if, if he's given them some idea that he is coming back or he's planning to come back, Shouldn't he have said, don't give up five first-round picks? Because they need a future. Let's say it's 2023, 2024, <laughs> and they're like, okay, we're one piece away. We need a good point guard. You but can't trade you for can't. You have nothing to trade. You have yeah. no first-round picks anymore. So, I mean, their future is just so – I don't even know what the right word is, but the, it's just so limited in what they can do to upgrade their roster from this point. But, I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier. They gave up a trade package similar to Anthony Davis, and they didn't get as much in return. The the Pelican – or, sorry, the Lakers – Gave up that pick package. They gave they got Anthony Davis, who's a top five player in the NBA. Yeah, obviously you make that trade. You make that trade, and I mean you get two years of Drew Holiday here. Yeah, I, I like it. He's a a very good player. He's a great yeah. defender. According to like analytics, he's the best defender in the NBA. So 
that's a positive. But the thing is, how many good guards are there in the East that he's really going to need to shut down? Like Kyrie, <laughs> and then I mean that's that's really yeah. it. And then maybe yeah. I guess he can guard Jimmy Butler. But I, I mean I don't know. I, I think it's definitely a good move to help keep Giannis. We'll see what happens. But I mean you can't really grade this trade until Giannis makes his decision to stay or go because th- in all in all. That's really what the straightest to do, to keep Giannis. Yeah, you mentioned him. I mean, they don't have a future. They can't trade for a point guard or whatever they need in the future. With, I mean, well, first of all, Drew Holiday is 30 years old, um, which is not young for an NBA player. And he's also missed. Yeah, he, Brooke, he also doesn't play a lot. Like, he gets yeah. hurt a lot. And Brooke Lopez is 32. So two of your pieces in your starting lineup are aging quickly. And... Like you mentioned, th- this trade was to keep Giannis. If Giannis stays, it's all worth it, even though you don't have that much flexibility in your future. But if he doesn't stay, this is a very, very bad trade, and it- it's going to cost them down the line. You mentioned a little bit ago the the Brooklyn Nets giving away all this for the aging combination of uh, the three stars that they got, or former stars that they got. And this feels very similar to me if Giannis were to leave. Obviously, they, they didn't, it's not similar trade, but the compensation that they gave up for what they received is very similar. Yeah, and I mean, I just have a question because we're going to talk about the Chris Paul trade in a second. Why not just do the Chris Paul trade? Because you you don't give up Dude. as many pieces. And I, I mean, I get that he's older. He's 37, 36 now. Yeah, but, but Chris Paul and that team would be Chris amazing. Paul and that team would be amazing. And the thing is, 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 Drew, is Drew Holiday that much of an upgrade that you're going to give up? your future for him. I mean, I think do the Chris Paul trade. I, I don't I, really, I, I don't really understand. I'd all. argue that even though he is older, I'd rather have Chris Paul. I, I well, think I would too. I'd we, rather Chris Paul. He doesn't need the ball. When he gets the ball, he either is passing it or he's scoring. Like he's the perfect fit for this offense. Yeah. Drew Holiday. I'm not saying he's a bad fit for the offense. I think he'll be a great addition, but you mentioned, I mean, there's a balance between what you have to give up and what you could have got. Like they could have gotten Chris Paul, who is, even if you want to consider Chris Paul a downgrade because of his age in terms of trade value, the difference between what the Suns gave up and what the Bucks gave up is so dramatic that, I mean, it's not even close. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, the difference between winning a championship this year with Chris Paul and Drew Holiday on your roster, I don't think it's impacted as much, but your future is impacted so much more because yeah. of this trade. So, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways, and we'll talk about Chris Paul in a second, but, I mean... There's a lot of question marks for the Bucks with this trade and what it's going to do for their future. If Giannis comes back, great. I mean, it worked for them, but I mean, they're still going to be hamstrung a lot in the future with with not having any draft picks. And I mean, I think you said it earlier. You don't make or obviously they make this trade for Giannis to stay. But even if he does stay, there it's just very difficult. You don't have guys coming in like new guys that you can draft. You don't have tra- draft picks that you could trade away. Obviously, you can't trade back-to-back draft picks, so you're limited there as well. Yeah. It, it's it's very. I mean, I think that they can maybe make a if they can make a conference championship appearance or an NBA Finals appearance, even if they don't win the whole thing. I think Giannis is likely to stay, which would be great for Milwaukee and great for the NBA. But their future is just it it's, doesn't look great. Yeah, so I mean, we'll we'll get more into that during the season, and we'll see how that goes, but. Uh, we'll move on now to a trade that you actually kind of mentioned last week, Jake, with Chris Paul, or I guess, yeah, we mentioned it at the end of the show. Chris Paul has now been traded to the Suns. They traded Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, Jalen McHugh, Ty Jerome, and a first-rounder in 2022 for Chris Paul. And, I mean, I think just my first thought about this is 
I like the idea a lot from the Suns because they need to get Devin Booker into the playoffs. Yeah. And you look at the modern NBA, how many players are unhappy with where they are in demand trades? You don't want Devin Booker to do that to you. You need to get him into the playoffs. You need to keep him happy. And that's the sole reason they're doing that. And I, I think that is a good reason to do this trade. And they didn't have to give up a whole lot for it. So I, I think that's a positive for them. It, let's say you trade the packages that the Bucks gave up for getting Chris Paul. And that's what the Suns gave away. I would hate this trade. But like you mentioned, they didn't give up too much. They kept their future draft picks, which is terrific for them kelly rubra yeah he's a great player ricky rubio an aging point guard like all these guys with a lot of money too yeah the guys that they gave away are i mean that's fine you don't need them if you're going to contend and i mean i'm going to go ahead and say it right now i think the suns will be a top tier team in the west i think chris paul will have a similar impact on deandre deandre ayton that he did on deandre jordan deandre jordan has never been good outside of when he played with chris paul like literally ever so if he can have that same impact where DeAndre Ayton isn't touching the ball unless he's getting lobs or getting quick dump-offs and then dunking the ball or even some wide-open shots. Like like I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Bucks, Chris Paul is, I mean, he's one, he's the man, and two, he, he doesn't need the ball to be effective because defense is always looking at him, and when he does have the ball, he's either passing for an assist or he's scoring. So... He's the perfect fit. You mentioned keeping Devin Booker happy, which is obviously a huge factor. But I think Devin Booker will take an even bigger leap this year, especially from what he did in the bubble. I mean, that was just that was ridiculous. And I think that they'll be a really good team. Yeah, and you mentioned it with, with DeAndre. And they're going to be such a lethal pick-and-roll duo, one of the best in the NBA, definitely with Chris Paul's ability. And, I mean, you mentioned what he did with DeAndre Jordan. It'll be very similar. And Aiton's even more talented than Jordan, so it'll be yeah, that good. yeah. And I mean, I think the biggest takeaway is I really don't know if there's any teams that won't be competing for a playoff spot in the West. I'm looking <laughs> at the standings. I'll, I'll read last year's standings. Lakers, I'll say if they're going to compete this year. Lakers, yes. Clippers, yeah. yes. Nuggets, yes. Rockets, probably. I mean, assuming they don't trade everyone away. Yeah, unless they start a rebuild. Thunder probably won't be. All right. So Thunder and Rockets are maybes. But then Jazz, yes. Mavs, yes. Blazers, yes. Grizzlies, yes. Suns, yes. Spurs, maybe. Kings, maybe. Pelicans, yes. Timberwolves maybe Warriors yes so there, there's like four teams that maybe won't be competing for the playoffs in the in the West I mean it's going to be ridiculously exciting in in the West this year and I mean I thought this year was exciting too so normally you have more than four teams that you're going to look at the start of the season oh they're not going to make the playoffs they're rebuilding whatever you have six teams that aren't going to make the playoffs so, so I mean seven sorry so where are they going to go like it's yeah, going to be very similar exactly. to the AFC in football right now in the Western Conference in the NBA. It's going to be really fun to watch. I hope that the Suns make in the playoffs because they can really make some noise. And I'm, I mean, I'm very excited not only for Devin Booker, but for this team. I think that Devin Booker, I'm, I'm not going to say it for the entire season, but some point in the season he'll be in the MVP conversation because of how efficient he's going to be and how well he's going to score off of Chris Paul. Uh, but I, I love this trade for the Suns. Yeah, and I think another thing we're going to be hearing a lot towards the end of the season is people are going to be complaining that the 16 best teams should be in the playoffs because you look at the East, yeah. and there's, I mean, looking at it last year, there were only six teams with an above 500 record. I think the Nets will be above 500, but then I think one of those teams will probably fall off. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people complaining that the 16 best teams should get in, but also the NBA just announced they're going to do a play-in tournament between the 7, 8, 9, and 10 seeds. That's going to be ridiculous in the Western Conference because there's going to be four teams competing for two spots that are all really good teams. So, I mean, that I don't know how long. It's probably just going to be one weekend, but that's going to be really exciting It's going to, to be watch. like the bubble where all eyes yeah. are on one team. You, you can watch the playoff race day to day, but it's going to be a tournament. I mean, that's going to be so fun. I, I 
did see that earlier, but I totally forgot that was going to happen. That adds a wrinkle. I mean, the East is going to be – it's not going to be fun to watch. We're going to know who's going to win <laughs> yeah. that. But the West is going to be ridiculously fun because, I mean, there's going to be two or three at least solid teams that are going to miss the playoffs in the West. Yeah, so now we'll just talk about a few of the other teams real quick that were involved in the other side of this trade. And the Thunder, we definitely have to talk about them. And, wow. I mean, even as we, we talked about this, they also made another trade. They traded Danny Green for a first and second round pick after just trading for Danny Green and a first-round pick for Dennis Schroeder. So, Which is a ridiculous turnaround. Yeah, I mean, Schroeder was not a very—he was a solid player, but Chris Paul really did a lot to him. He really helped him out and turned his career around, which is also a good move for the Lakers. But, I mean, they have 17 first-round picks in the next six years. It is unbelievable what the Thunder have been able to do. So Sam Presti turned Dennis Schroeder into— Two first-round picks and a second-round pick? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. One is in 2025, but I, I mean... mean <laughs> okay, in the next six years, <laughs> they have 17 first-round picks. This team is going to be... Obviously, it's going to take a while. Trust the process, as you would say in Philadelphia. It's going to take a while, and you obviously have to draft correctly, or it doesn't matter. They can, they can package some of these guys to get a rising star. They could... Um, potentially sign somebody in free agent after they draft very well. I mean, the the future is bright in Oklahoma City. And, I mean, this is – they didn't have this massive of a rebuild when they drafted Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. But, I mean, the same kind of thing. I mean, they could have a similar impact from when they did that back then. And that's the thing. Like, they're probably going to be a very good team by 2023, yeah. 2024. Like, they have some good young pieces already with Dort and uh, Shy Gildas-Alexander. But – the thing is, they're going to have like seven or eight first-round picks the next two or three years after that. So they're only going to be able to keep building. And this team, once they get good, they're going to stay good for a very yeah. long time. And it's going to be fun to watch. Or you can, like I just mentioned. Let's yeah, say, or trade them away. Let's yeah. say you get good in 2023, 2024, that year. Trade and, for Giannis. Yeah, at the trade deadline, you trade for some superstar for eight draft picks. And yeah. then, oh, you don't have any draft picks remaining, but you're the best team in the league. Yeah. So, and they'll still, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be very, it's very exciting for Oklahoma City. It, it's not gonna be pretty for them in the next few years. But besides that, the future is very bright. But what's interesting is that they're still playing a, a competitive team. I mean, I don't think they'll be as good as last year, especially in this West. But I mean, it's still they just got Al Horford. He'll be solid, and they'll they have some solid pieces that they'll be somewhat competitive. It won't be miserable like when the Sixers won ten games a year. But I mean, it's it, it'll it's gonna be really interesting once they get good how they build this team. I'm very impressed with Sam Presti though. It's yeah, very impressive. So we'll quickly also talk about the Trailblazers. So they were on the other side of that Rockets trade. They, so they just got Robert Covington and. I also like this move a lot because outside of CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, they didn't have much shooting and scoring. So I think getting a really good 3 and D guy like Robert Covington is a really good move for them. And we saw in the playoffs their lack of scoring. So having a player like that really helps them a lot. Yeah, and he's a great defender. So that's also, I like this trade for the Trailblazers a lot. Yeah, and so one more team. This is another team that has really stockpiled a lot. David Griffin of of the Pelicans GM has turned Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday into Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, seven first-round picks, one second-round pick, and four pick swaps. So, I mean, you talk about another guy that has done so much with so little. This is a guy that was criticized a lot in when he was in Cleveland with LeBron for not doing enough to get LeBron help, but he's doing the right thing around Zion Williamson here, and he's really building a, a nice foundation, and, th- and this team is going to be really good, again, for a long time once they get really good, and that could start as, as early as this year. When Giannis was drafted to the New Orleans Pelicans... Just based on what was happening with Anthony Davis and Zion. what you no know, yeah what was happening uh, with Anthony Davis in the past from how unhappy he was and he wanted to leave when Zion was drafted I 
did not think that he was going to stay or sign a contract after his rookie contract, but it's looking more and more likely that he could. I mean, I'm very impressed with David Griffin. Obviously, the Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis is a star. You're going to get that kind of competition for him, and you had to. But what he did or what he got for Drew Holiday, he understood the position that the Bucks were in. He's been in that position, but he didn't give up the future, and he wasn't allowed to in Cleveland or else he would have. But that was a phenomenal trade on his end, and I, it's just it's. I'm still questioning the move on the Bucks yeah. side, but it's a great move for the Pelicans. Like you mentioned, they're stockpiling draft picks, and it's going to be a very good team. I mean, they're competing now, or they can compete now, and then they have a bright future. Yeah, I kind of just wonder how do these negotiations happen? Like, how yeah. does he end up with five? Like, how do you, do you just say I need one more? I need one more until you get five. Because and... there's no way when the Bucks called David Griffin. That he said, I want to give you five draft yeah, picks. I mean, he probably started with one. He or knew two. That he knew how desperate the Bucks are, yeah, and yeah. so he took a full advantage of that. And he did the same thing with the Lakers last year, and yeah. it's really impressive. So a lot of credit. And to he him. also knew how there were other suitors involved for yeah. Drew Holiday, and the Bucks knew that as well. So there's a lot of factors going in this trade. As I said earlier, I understand why the Bucks did it, but it could very much affect them in a negative manner if. Giannis doesn't stay. Yeah, and also one more thing on Drew Holiday. I think if he went to a team like Denver, that would have been huge for them because getting that really good defensive point guard again and playing alongside Jokic and Murray would yeah. make them... They honestly might make... I mean, that is a legit team. And they're already good really they, good. They yeah. were in the finals. Exactly. In the playoffs. Yeah, so I mean, I think that is probably where I would have wanted him to see him go. But I mean, it'll be fun to see him with the with the Bucks. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the NBA draft, and we're actually recording this part of the podcast later in the day. It's about 9.45, we're 17 picks into the draft, and uh, so we're just going to recap some of the big picks so far. So first overall, Anthony Edwards from Georgia went to the Timberwolves. Jake, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a pretty good pick. Obviously, they were between uh, LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards. He's got all the tools. Some people comparing Dwayne Wade or um, some other high-profile stars, but, I mean, his work ethic is something that is in question, but once you get in that NBA building, I mean, the Timberwolves obviously couldn't turn it around with Andrew Wiggins, and he had the same question marks, but I think that they've learned from that. They have new new coaches in there, so I feel like that shouldn't be a major concern going forward, but uh, he, he, he has the tools and the potential to be a star. Yeah, I think he's going to be a very good player in the NBA. I mean, he obviously, he's one of the most physically built players in the NBA. I mean, he or in the in this draft, he looks like a football player. And, I mean, we talked about, me and Jake were talking earlier about how he wanted to be a football player pretty much. But, I mean, the thing is, if, if this guy can really settle down and really get his shot down, his three-point shot, he wasn't as good of a shooter as people wanted him to be going into college. But, I mean, if he can figure that out, he's going to be a really good player in this league for a while. He only shot uh, 29% for three-point in college last year, which definitely won't get it done, especially in today's modern NBA. But if he can get that shot up... And hopefully, I mean, working alongside a guy like uh, D'Angelo Russell, where he doesn't have to take as many shots as he did last year, hopefully that can help him a lot. But, I mean, I think this is a good pick, and there's a very high ceiling for him. Yeah, and just one more thing on Edwards. He's a very streaky shooter, so when he makes some, he'll make a bunch in a row, but then that also comes with cold spurts as well. But let's move on to the second overall pick, which was James Wiseman. What do you think from this one? I, I I like this pick a lot. I think that this is what we expected out of the Warriors and we're hoping yeah. for is obviously they have Klay Thompson, they have Steph Curry, they have Green, who's more of a, a big forward. And so getting a center in James Wiseman, he's 7-1, where he you know has the ability to play down low, but he also can take it out. I mean, there were times at Memphis, even though he only played three games, where he dribbled it up the court. So he has those good ball handling skills, and he can also... 
extend and shoot the three a little bit. So, I mean, I think this is going to be a really good pick for the Warriors. Obviously, you mentioned they have those great guards. Now they have a really good big guy who I think can develop relatively quickly in the NBA and is going to be a pretty good player as soon as he steps on the court this season. Yeah, um, an ESPN scout uh, reported that he has stretches in which he looks like he's in cruise control. Obviously, he had some concerns in um, Memphis, or not concerns, but uh, that trouble with eligibility, but... I think he's a perfect fit for this Warriors team and playing alongside all those shooters. You mentioned he could could potentially stretch the floor, which is a great addition to that team. Uh, And, yeah, I think he'll fit great. Yeah, and, I mean, especially with that 7'5 wingspan, that's definitely – I mean, he's going to be a presence inside as well on the defensive end too. So now we're going to move on to the third overall pick. LaMelo Ball uh, to the Charlotte Hornets obviously didn't play college basketball. He played in New Zealand last year. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the top of this draft was consent, like pretty much set in terms of uh, what three players were going to go first. We just didn't know what order they were going to go in. I think LaMelo Ball is great. I'm kind of glad that he's going to a team like the Hornets, who are all young, and he could be pointed in the right direction in that manner. But, I mean, the, the only real concern for him would be, I guess, I mean, he does have um, some concerns defensively, but on offense, he's a much better shooter than his older brother. He obviously is a great passer. He could be a franchise point guard based off of those passing abilities. Uh, he, he, I mean, he has a great work ethic, and he's totally dedicated to the game of basketball, watching some of his videos. The overseas time definitely helped his game and helped him improve. And for me, I mean, he's the over, top player in this draft I'm not sure if he would have been the best fit in Minnesota and that's why they went with Anthony Edwards but he's the best overall prospect in my opinion yeah and reading a lot of scouting reports and draft reports on on these guys LaMelo Ball has the best skill in this draft with his passing ability that is the best skill out of any player in this in this draft class so he's going to rack up the assists very quickly in his career and I mean another big concern of his is shooting is his ability to shoot the basketball can he develop that shot sort of the way that Lonzo has started to develop it his older brother so if he's able to really become sort of a two-way threat in terms of a very good shooter and a very good passer, he's going to be a very good point guard in this league for a long time. I mean, it seems like he has that ability. He shot 82% from free throws in his career in in uh, overseas and only 25% from three. But, I mean, he shows that he has that touch and ability to at least improve that shot. Yeah, and then another slight concern of his would be his strength. But obviously, I mean... He's still very young. All of these guys are very young, so that can easily improve. Yeah, and I think just one more thing before we move on to the next pick. He he is six seven, so he's long, he's lanky, and as a guard. So, I mean, you think that he would at least have the ability to become a solid defender, even though he's not a very good one right now. You hope he can develop into one. Yeah, I can't wait to watch him play. He's going to be an awesome – he's going to be highlight tape in uh, Charlotte. So let's move on to the fifth overall pick. This one was kind of a surprise um, for Cleveland. They took Isaac – Okoro, and uh, he's pretty much a two-way player. Um, he's very good defensively, and I, I'm just not sure that he's the fifth-best player in this draft, but obviously they saw something when got him. Yeah, I think that this this Cleveland team clearly needed a, a big, at least for the future, as they don't really have anyone there right now. And, I mean, he's, he's listed at 6'6", six, six, but he can play on bigger guys, and he can play on smaller guys. He's a tremendous defender. He was one of the best defenders in the country last year, and he's just extremely athletic. You watch his highlights, and you can see him run down the court. He has emphatic dunks, but can also really step up and guard a lot of these players. So I think that's what they really saw in this guy. And, I mean, his weakness is shooting on the outside from the perimeter, but if he can develop that, he's going to be a really scary player to face. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. He shot 29% from three and 67% on free throws. So shooting is obviously a concern, but 
I mean, I, I think he'll be a good addition to this team. And I thought Obi Toppin was going to go here. This is one of the surprise picks of the night. But actually, let's move on to Obi Toppin. What, what did you think of this? He went to the New York Knicks. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people definitely thought the Knicks were going to go guard. But I don't think they expected Obi Toppin to fall yeah. this far. I thought at worst he would go five or six. So seeing this guy, I mean, he won the Wooden Award. He was the best player in college basketball last year. He's 6'9". He's explosive. He's tremendous on the inside. But, I mean, there are some concerns with his defensive ability and his basketball IQ. He is 22 years old, so he's definitely hit his floor. Or his ceiling probably isn't as high as the, as these other guys, but he's explosive, and he's really going to, you know, make his presence felt at Madison Square Garden and draw a lot of fans there. Yeah, he's not the most polished perimeter player in terms of shooting or anything like that, but, I mean, he's dominant in transition, and the he's got stretch skills for for sure, and he's... Definitely uh, a stretch four, but I think they he'll fit in great with the Knicks. Uh, obviously, they have some young pieces, but they still need to build around that, and I think that's a great addition to their rebuild. Yeah, I think you have him, Mitchell Robinson, and R.J. Barrett. That's a very yeah. good three players right there, and I think you know they're a very good guard away for, and probably a year or two of development away from really being a, a playoff contender at least. So, I mean, I think that this is a good pick for the Knicks, and now, I mean, right now we don't have – they have the 23rd pick that's coming up in a few picks from, from where we're at right now. But if they can get a guard there, I mean, we'll see what, what they can do down the stretch. Yeah, and the Knicks, there was rumors and reports that they were going to potentially trade up to get Obi Toppin. And they were able to sit back at the 8th overall pick and take him. So they've got to be very happy with this outcome. Yeah, so we're going to talk about one final draft pick. At number 12, Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State went to the Sacramento Kings. And this was a guy that, I mean, some people thought the Knicks could actually get. Uh, but so he fell a little bit. ESPN has yeah. him ranked as the eighth best player, but a six-five uh, point guard with tremendous passing skills. Uh, I mean, Jake, what are your thoughts on him so far? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one of the biggest surprises of the night. That and Okora, uh, he was projected to go as high as four uh, potentially. But I think playing along De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, he's not a very ball dominant um, guard, but he is. Uh, Definitely a 3-and-D type where he doesn't need the ball to be efficient on offense. Playing along those two guards that I just mentioned is going to be great for him. And, I mean, maybe they can roll out some three-guard lineups. He he is only 6'5", so that would be a little small for the three position. But uh, I, th- I think that he'll be a great addition to the Kings team. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun to see how they integrate him along with De'Aaron Fox, who is definitely one of the more up-and-coming guards in the NBA. But 43% as a three-point shooter, that's really, I mean, that's really enticing as a team. Yeah. And you combine that with his passing ability, it's going to be fun to watch him develop and see how he can do on this Kings team that, I mean, we still think is ascending right now. Yeah, and I mean, he, the improvement areas that they have written here is that he could uh, he struggles creating offense in the half court for himself, which is something that's not going to be a concern on this Kings team. De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald, they'll create the attention, they'll draw defenders away, and then he can do his thing as soon as he gets the ball. Yeah, and I mean, just one more thing is that they talked about how he has one of the highest basketball IQs in this in this draft class, so... I mean, he's a smart player. He knows what to do with the ball, and he just knows how to play the game of basketball, which is what you want in these players. There's a member of the ESPN team that they were talking about during the analysis of the draft that interviews most of the guys that are coming out at least higher in the draft or expected to be, and he said that his interview was one of the best that he's seen in his 20-year career, and that just speaks to his IQ that you just mentioned, and he's just a very intelligent basketball player on and off the court, and I think that'll really help him. Yeah, so that's our NBA draft recap, and we'll send it back to, from earlier today, and they talk about the Masters. Okay, so now we're going to move into golf. This weekend we saw a major that typically happens in the spring, and the Masters were played here in November. 
Uh, Dustin Johnson won with a score. It was actually a record score of minus 20 or 20 under. And this was great great to see Tiger back out there again after winning it last year. He struggled. I, I'm not sure what hole it was, but he struggled on one of the holes uh, towards the end of his final round. But, I mean, there was some great play. Justin Thomas finished tied – or he was in fourth. Rory McIlroy had a strong performance. He normally doesn't play great in the Masters. Um, but it, it was just really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing here is Dustin Johnson. I mean, he's, he set a record. Minus 20 is the best score in Masters history. He was unbelievable all week. And so I wanted to look up his how he did this year because I know this year he's been so good. These are – his notable finishes this year he, in tournaments. Seventh, first, second, first, second, first, sixth, second, and first. I mean, he's been unbelievable this year, and he really is pr- one of the best golfers of all time. He's 36 years old, but his first Masters, only a second major. He's had some really unlucky, I mean, unlucky tournaments in majors where, that this is only, he's had some close second finishes. But, I mean, just really happy for the guy, and seeing all the emotions he had was really exciting and just really happy for him and, and seeing this accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I had to guess um, before this weekend, obviously I found out this weekend, if I had to guess how many majors Dustin Johnson had won, it would probably be up three or four or something yeah. like that. This is only his second, which is crazy to me. Um, I'm going to talk about Bryson DeChambeau. He finished tied for 31st, two under. I'm actually surprised he managed to get under par, but he did not play well at all. He was supposed to break the course which just didn't happen at Not all. all. <laughs> but uh, just a very d- disappointing, I mean, he was the favorite going into it. Very disappointing weekend for Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, so going into the week, Bryson said that uh, if he that his par for the, t- the course was a 67 instead of a 72. So if it was a par 67, you would have shot plus 18. So, I mean, he was just extremely confident <laughs> going into the week. It, it was just not a good performance from him and definitely a disappointment where I mean, a lot of people were making fun of him because he just really did not look good by saying that. And also, just to touch on Tiger real quick, and I was listening to something with Scott Van Pelt where he said that Tiger's pretty much at peace with, with how he does at these tournaments. I mean, you could see when he played this week, he was really relaxed, laughing a lot, smiling, just having a good time out there. And, I mean, obviously he wants to win, but I think after winning last year, yeah. he doesn't have that, that same, like, I need to win, I need, like, all this pressure. He did it last year, and, I mean, we'll see. The Masters are, again, in five months. I, I want him to win again, but... I think at this point, he's just at peace with, with how his career has gone. He's 44, 45 now. And, I mean, it's just fun to see Tiger have a good time out there. And it's just always a pleasure to watch him no matter what. I mean, he's hands down the greatest golfer of our generation. You could argue that there's others in the past that could have been better. But he, he just needed to prove to himself and to other people that he was capable of winning a major again. And, I mean, he did that last year, obviously. Uh, I don't think that he has much more to prove to himself. If he wins another one or two majors, that'd be great for him. He's going to he's going to try his best obviously to win one but if he doesn't I think it'll be completely fun yeah so uh now we'll just wrap up with something we're looking forward to next week so Jake what are you looking forward to next week I'm looking forward to watching Indiana versus Ohio State this game is at Ohio State um this is a three versus nine matchup according to their rankings but Ohio State is favored by 20 and a half points I get that Ohio State is very good but 20 points seems like a very large margin for this matchup. Uh, I think that Ohio State will win and end up winning the game. I just think that 20 points seems like a little much. And besides this game, I don't think Ohio State has many other tests uh, throughout the rest of their season. 
Uh, I mean, it's kind of sad to say that Indiana. I mean, they're they're a decent team and they're a good team, but it is a little sad to say that this is their biggest regular season test until the playoff. So if they can perform really well here, they basically solidify themselves as a playoff team. Yeah, I mean, this is. I, I hope Indiana can make it a game. Just any exciting game with Ohio State is fun, but I mean, it's definitely going to be tough for Indiana to hang with with Justin Fields and yeah. that team. But I mean, Tom Allen, he's he's had some great performances this year. He's really one of the better up-and-coming coaches in college football. So, I mean, hopefully it can be a good game, and, and it'll be fun to watch on Saturday. Yeah, so what's one thing you're looking forward to this week? So there are this week there are five NFL games between teams with six-plus wins. It's So on Thursday, Cardinals-Seahawks, Titans-Ravens, Colts-Packers, Raiders-Chiefs on Sunday Night Football, and then Monday Night Football, Rams-Buccaneers. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really fun weekend of NFL games, and just really looking forward to that. And, you know, hopefully we mentioned how good this playoff race is going to be down the stretch. This is just going to be the first good, really fun week of many as, as we get down the home stretch of this season. Yeah, so I think that's all we have for today. We're probably not going to record an episode next week, but uh, thank you for listening. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving.